Well, if you would, take your Bibles once again and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John is where we're going to be this morning again. Last week we looked at four tests of an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And we said that four of them that we saw from that text were obedience, honesty, love, and walking as Jesus walked. All tests or proofs that we say of what we say is true. And more than just claiming that we know Jesus, how we walk will be the evidence of what we truly do know. The next text in Scripture stresses a principle that we've all heard so many times. In fact, I almost felt a little bit guilty this week as I was preparing this message. It's like, in my heart, I'm like, oh no, they're going to think I'm just bringing up the same message I've hammered 17,000 times before. And I'm looking back and I'm saying, they'd be right. I've hit this and hit this and hit this, and yet it just keeps coming up in more passages and more passages and more passages. And I think I've come to the conclusion that if God has put it in His Word so many times, it must be that He's trying to stress it in our lives that we need to practice it, right? So here it is. The title of the message this morning is The Utmost Importance of Love. And I hope this morning as we go through this text that we're going to kind of highlight maybe a couple different nuances of it than maybe what I always hit. Although I'm going to hit the same things again because it's in there again. So uh, hopefully you won't say, well, there he goes again on the same subject. Truly put your thinking caps on this morning and just say, listen, if this applies to me, I need to put both feet in and jump all over and make sure the feet are planted firmly in the shoes. And uh, ask myself whether or not I need to hear this. And uh, I, I think you'll come to the conclusion that I came to that this is very significant to the heart of God. So it ought to be significant to our heart. And that is loving our brothers. And what it tells us in John chapter 4 verse 8 is this. says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I mean, those are pretty straightforward words. I mean, I don't have to say, well, in the Greek it means this, because you really don't care what the Greek says. I think we take it at face value in plain English. He who does not love does not know God. So then we have to ask this question. If we think about it just for a moment, what is definition by love? We've given this definition numerous times over the years. Love is a decision that results in an action and expects nothing in return. Love is a decision. It results in an action and expects nothing in return. And I think this is no greater example of this than God himself saying, I love the world, and the action is I'm sending my son to pay a price for a debt you have that you cannot pay, and I'm not asking you to do anything other than trust me. You didn't have to go out and change your life. You didn't have to go get rid of all your habits and sinful, sinful deeds and, and do all that. The bottom line is you cannot get perfect enough. You cannot get clean enough. You cannot get uninhibited enough from your sinfulness to say, I deserve God. He paid the price because you couldn't pay it yourself. And neither could I. So how many of us can honestly say that we love that result? We have a love that results in an action and that our motives are pure in that we expect nothing in return from those actions that we've given to those around us. Especially when we consider the love that we have for those with whom we are the closest. It should really cause us to stop and ponder our love for others. And so if you would follow along as I read from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11. through 11. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you. 
But an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning, the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So let's explore this just for a moment. John, first of all, reminds his audience of God's commandment. It was not actually a new commandment, right? Rather, it was a commandment that was given many years earlier, but it needed to be refreshed in the minds of the people. And here's the thing that we have to often remember is that we've heard these things over and over again. And one of the easiest things to do is when we're hearing something that we've already heard before is kind of just kind of put our brains in neutral and kind of go into coast mode. I've heard this before uh, that, you know, I applies to, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe I could do a little bit better, but blah, 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 blah. He's just on the same subject I've heard it 8 million times. It's easy to do that. It's easy to say, well, I know everything that there is about this. But really, this was not a new commandment. It was something that needed to be refreshed. I don't know about you, but there's times when we've told our kids to do something, and they have, even though they're sincere, they have sincerely forgot. And you need to refresh what you told them to do, and how they're to act, and so forth. But the reality is, it was a reiteration of something that they had already heard many, many times. Consider Jesus himself being tested and taunted by the Herodians, uh, by the Sadducees and the Pharisees as they all took a run at him. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40, says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Here's the next phrase. Testing him. They wanted to test him. And saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your Uh, heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is like that you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments saying all the law and prophets i mean after all i mean i am a pharisee i'm a lawyer i'm a a smart young man Uh, we assume that he was very wealthy we don't know for certain but that's the assumption but the reality is what must we do to inherit the kingdom i mean what is the great commandment I like what John Phillips writes concerning this. He said, The rabbis had long since started on that vast work of elaboration of the law that ultimately involved into the Talmud. Already their commentaries and rulings and bindings traditions had begun to replace the Torah in authority. The scribes divided all 613 commandments of the Mosaic Law into 248 affirmative commandments, By the way, that's the number of the members of the body as they counted them. And 365 negative ones, one for each day of the year. They saw great significance, too, in there being not only 613 commandments in the law, but also 613 letters in the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments. They greatly elaborated the law, expanding to the point of absurdity. For instance, the commandment concerning keeping the Sabbath, some commandments they rated as great, some as small. The dietary laws and law concerning circumcision were great laws. And so were the laws concerning the ritual sacrifices and laws dealing with the feast days and fast days. But what was the great commandment? The lawyer put Jesus to the test. See, the great commandment, as he reminded us, is to love. You say, well, why is that the greatest? Because everything else hinges on whether or not we truly love someone. 
In fact, Jesus responded to the lawyer by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In other words, with all your being. It wasn't just a compartmentalized aspect of one little sliver of his life. It was all of life. It was everybody that they, uh, everything that encompassed them about what they did during their day. So let me just take a minute, and I said I'm going to take a little bit different nuance this morning, so I hope that you won't get too upset with me. I know some of you will, and that's okay. i got broad shoulders. I've been told that for years. So I'm going to meddle just for a moment. Some proclaiming Christians have a false definition of love. And I mean this in all sincerity. I mean this in all graciousness, but I'm going to say it. Let me give you a couple examples. And before I do, know that love is applied in many different directions sometimes when we hear the words love everyone and love your love your neighbor as you would love yourself and love the lord god we have this idea that we're just supposed to love god supremely with all that's within us and yeah it's a cute pithy little trite saying that we're to love our neighbors too and that sounds so fluffy and wonderful and great love is applied to a lot of different directions and a lot of different circumstances and this is where i'm going to meddle just for a moment Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son. Let me say it again. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. What does God's word say, folks? If you love your child, you will discipline your child. And there's a point to where I'm going with all this in just a moment. But we think of love and it's like, oh, it's so flowery. You're supposed to love everyone around us. But what about your own family? What about those that you are closest to? What about your own children? I'm going to meddle. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son with whom he receives. Revelation 3, 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. The whole purpose of discipline, when based and motivated by love, is to correct and to help them do what's right. Correction leads to correct actions. And the reality is, there are a lot of parents who say, I love my kid, and they will not discipline them. I'm going to meddle. Here's why. We're seeing the result of a generation or two that have not disciplined their kids. And you can say that you love your kids, but you don't discipline them. You're lying. I wonder if there would be less rioting. Less disrespect and defiance towards authority. Less dishonesty. Less selfishness if biblical love, which produced biblical discipline, would have been implemented. We're seeing the result of a couple of generations of kids who are out rioting in all hours of the night, causing havoc and causing problems, because there's probably a generation or two of parents who said, I love you, but I'm not going to discipline. Love is set to a lot of different directions. But he says, he hates his son. Who spares the rod hates his son, but who loves him discipline. It's the very model and the example that God says, I give to my children. He says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Have you ever been chastened by the Lord? Have you ever felt that there's been a time when God is molding you and chiseling you and making you into something that you're not normally? The fact that he is saying, hey, you got to deal with this and you got to deal with that and you got to you know, repent of this and confess of that. And you feel like it's a difficult time. And even as the Psalms talks about it, it feels like, as David says, when he was being disciplined and chasing himself, I felt like my bones were waxing old. Why? Because it's not pleasant. 
I never got a spanking in my life that I said, wow, that was awesome. A little bit harder. Oh, yes, that hurt better. That's not normal. And I've never met a kid who has done something wrong and said, Dad, I need a spanking. I just did wrong. Would you just spank me and get it over? I'm, I, no kid wants that. But every kid needs discipline. You say, well, does it have to be a spanking? What does God's word say? It's not my word. You want to get mad, get mad at God. I'm just saying. Parents, you are not called to be your children's best friend. Can I say that again? You're not called to be your kid's best friend. My wife is like, oh Lord, he is going there. (laughs) You're not called to be your kid's best friend. There are going to be times that you have to say no. And you better make sure that the ones that you say no are important enough. Say yes when you can, but when you need to say no, stand firm and say no. None of us wants to disappoint our kids. Not one of us that has had kids wants to disappoint them. A rule that we've often used with our children was this. We emphasize discipline for direct disobedience, but we emphasize teaching for immaturity. Because there's a difference. Sometimes kids do wrong out of immaturity. Sometimes they do wrong out of direct disobedience. And there's a difference. It's a time to teach and it's a time to train. But here's the deal. Be consistent with it. You can't spank a kid for doing something wrong one time, but then the next time just give him a tongue lashing. It's inconsistent. You mean what you say and say what you mean, so it's consistent. And honestly, and I'm going to say this, and it's from my heart. None of my kids had given me 15 minutes of headache since they were born. None of them. I used to say five minutes, but I had to change it to 15. truth. Hear me, I did not say they're perfect. They're not. And that being said, they're respectful, hardworking, and true to their word when they make commitments. But that being said, they got their share of discipline. And uh, Jake would argue that the younger kids got less, and he may be right. But here's the point. Love your children enough to discipline them. You'll be glad later when they become faithful, obedient, and productive adults. I've watched parents reason with their kids at three and four years old. Spank their butts. They need it. I'm just saying it. You may disagree with corporal punishment, but you disagree with God. Because he's the one that put it in there. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a store somewhere and you've heard it, the scream and the... There's been a couple times when our kids were little, we went out to the car. I'm not going to do it in front of everybody and make everybody upset, but there's times that, you know what? This moment is more important than those groceries. And we've done it. Be consistent, because that is love. You're not called to reason with a three-year-old, a four-year-old. Their job at that point is to learn to obey. I see this in classrooms. Some of you teachers have to deal with this. You you have to give them several chances to do what's right. Count to ten. We're going to count to ten. If you don't stop by the time I get to ten, just delayed obedience. It's okay. God's all for delayed obedience. 
Yes, I'm going there because that's love too. Be faithful. Be consistent. Make sure that the discipline coincides with the crime, so to speak. You're not taking the belt out every time the kid you know, didn't put something in the right spot. But when there's direct disobedience, I said no, you did it anyway. I told you to do something, you directly disobeyed me. There's a time for a whooping. That's biblical. That's love. And if you'll do it consistently while they're young, you won't have to deal with it when they're older. I don't think any of my kids got a spanking after about third grade. Because they realize that what you say, you mean. And once you deal with it, it's done. We pray, so it's over. Now, I wish I could go back and say I did it perfectly. I did not. I did. I wish I could change a few things. But the reality is, we tried the best we could. And part of that means sometimes, yeah, there's a few times, not every time. I'm not that woman that said, I cried and it hurts me more than it hurts you. No, it didn't hurt me. It hurt you. It's your butt that was sore, not mine. But there's a teaching opportunity there. God expects obedience. And we are to teach our kids obedience. And here's another thing. Model it before you expect it. Model it before you expect it. Now, here's a generational thing. Those of you that are in your late 60s, 70s, above, even a little bit younger, how many got your, your hind end tanned a couple times in your life? Were you okay over it? Huh? You okay? You survived. It was probably good, right? Take it from the older generation. It's good for them once in a while. Okay, rant over. The Apostle Paul also reiterated the significance of this commandment. In Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. You know, all of these actions that he's listed as examples are all characteristic of having no love. Here's what I mean by this. I am more likely, as a person who has not a care about living for the Lord, even though I may claim to be a Christian, I have no motivation to not steal from somebody if they have something I want. If I don't love them. Why would I care about whether it affects them? I mean, I'm worried about me. But here's the thing. When I love somebody, and I legitimately, authentically, truly love somebody, I won't want to hurt them. I'm not going to have a friend that I've known for 30 years have something that I want and when he turns his back, take it. Why? Because it's my friend. I love him. I am more likely to steal, lie about, or hurt someone I don't truly love. And I'm more, it's more difficult to hurt those that we do love. So, question... The next time you hurt somebody, you need to ask yourself, do I really love them? John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
A new commandment, John 13, 34, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, you also love one another. So when God says that, through Jesus Christ, love somebody as I have loved you, think about that. How did God love us? How did Jesus love us? God loved us enough to send a son to die on a cross. Jesus loved us to bear the sins of the world, to have his father turn his back on him, to shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sin. There is no greater love than this that a man laid down his life for his friend. That's love. It was sacrificial and it was consistent. Those are probably the two greatest examples I think of, or characteristics that I think of. When we are to love as Christ loved, is it sacrificial? Is it consistent? I don't know about you, but it's not always convenient. I'm just being honest. It's not convenient. When somebody needs help, they need something, I have to stop what I'm doing to do what you want. Why? I'm selfish. I want to do what I do. Don't bother me. I'm, I'm, I'm in my own... This is my day. It's my day off. Leave me alone. Love will either motivate you or the lack of love will discourage you from doing something that could benefit someone else. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, over and over and over again, he talks about the fact that we're to love. So we talked a little bit about loving our children enough to discipline them, but everyone else as well. Notice in verse 8 in our text, it says this. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So he says, darkness is passing away, true light is already shining. The truth of this commandment was coming alive again in the life of Jesus Christ, and then again in the lives of his disciples. So here's the point of verse 8. The more God's people reflect God's love, the brighter it shines. Did you get that? The more God's people reflect God's love, the brighter it shines. By this shall all men know that we are his disciples by our what? Love one for another. I think this often, and this is not my notes, but I think about this often. All these churches that are struggling. I wish we had an unlimited stinking bank account. I really do. I don't want a penny of it. I just wish I had a bottomless pit of money so I could help people. I, I, I just get so frustrated. We, in the last several years, we've tried to help the other churches around us. We've built stages for churches. We've put, laid floors for churches. We've painted rooms for churches. Jessica has painted faces at people's harvest parties. Nick has done magic shows for other churches' harvest parties. I kind of overstretch us sometimes a little bit, once in a while, inadvertently, on purpose. Because <laughs> I know there's people who have skills and abilities and talents and sometimes, yes, even money that can be a help to someone else. I want to see the church of God go forward. Not just this church. I want to see God's church move forward. And I think sometimes, so Saturday we had our Propel meeting. I said, hey, there's a church that needs some paint. Because quite honestly, I'm ready to take our church credit card and go buy, some, buy a gallon of paint. Because it's just a gallon of paint. It's like it's not that big deal. But I don't have that authority to buy for other churches. I wish I did. But I said, somebody can buy some paint, right? And one person came and said, I'll buy, I'll buy two gallons. I'm like, sweet. That's the church showing love. There are people who need a picture of God's love. There are people who need to see that God is real. That His presence is real. That He still answers prayer. How do we do that? Through our love. 
The more God's people reflect God's love, the brighter it shines to a world that needs to see it. As we come into verse 9, he says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Now, I'm going to meddle just for a minute again. As I've said before here, John does not mince words. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, well, I know some guys, you guys are, I know you all claim to be Christians, but I know, you know, some people just don't love others, you know, especially in the body of Christ. He doesn't say that. He comes out and says, if you are walking in darkness, especially those who are in the light, you're in darkness. Period. He very often uses comparisons like light versus darkness, truth versus lie, love versus hate. So he makes a very bold statement. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. You're deceiving yourself. You're not really a child of God. And the love of God is not in you if you are not showing love to those who are in the body of Christ. You cannot come to church and hate a brother sitting on the other side of the aisle. It cannot be true. And let me just say this. It should not be in the body of Christ. There ought to be enough love within us that if any one of you needed help, someone else, anyone else would be willing to come to your rescue. Favoritism shouldn't be in the body of Christ. I long for the day that we have a multicultural, multi-ethnicity church. I really do. I've been to Africa, Kenya, Liberia, Togo, Ghana, those places. And you see the people there and how they worship God. And how there's just a thirst. You think it's bad here in America? Go over there and try, try to rubbish, uh, sort through garbage rubbish to find a plastic bottle to put water in. Seriously. Go over there and try to sort through all the garbage heaps to find a few plastic bottles so you can sell a couple, to buy a couple things, but then keep a couple for yourself. It's crazy. And we don't think a thing about it. We gripe about what's going on around us. Try and live there for a month, any, any one of those African countries. Try it. I promise you, you'll have a different perspective. Go to India and see the... The, the, the streets filled with, with human refuse and, and smell and gunk in the aisle, in between buildings. And I promise you, what you have will be completely changed in your image. You'll think, wow, my worst day is thousand percent better than anything else going on there. But what that has done for me is that when I see people of other ethnicities... It makes me want to reach out to them even more. Some of them are here because it's a better life. Some of them are here because they were persecuted there. Some of them are just trying to find hope. But I would love to walk into this church and see Indians and Nepalis and Bhutanese and Africans. and I'd love to see that. I would love to see that there is... Folks, we've seen it before. We've let a group of Nepali people come in here, and when the pastor said, let's pray, they all prayed. Out loud. You know what it sounded like from the back of the auditorium to up the front? 
You know what it appeared to, to those who aren't used to seeing it? Oh, they're speaking in tongues. I have to get out of here. And they turn around and walk away. It was not tongues. They were praying in their tongue. We're afraid of what we don't know. We're afraid of what we don't understand. We're afraid because they're different. Shame on us. I didn't realize that the church was for Americans. That's how we treat it sometimes. The church is for those who have it all together. No, it's not. The church is for everyone who needs Jesus Christ and wants Jesus Christ to work in their life, right? When's the last time we got to know somebody who was different than us? That's love. Intentional love. My kids think I'm crazy because every time I go through the checkout at Wegmans, if I see some name I don't understand, my kids are like, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> but a lot of times I can tell by how dark their skin is what country in Africa they're from because I've seen several of them. And as I get to talk to them, it's like, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, I haven't been to that one yet, but I wanna, I'd like to be there someday. I'll ask them about their name. It's a conversation starter. It's different than anything you see around here. It's a conversation starter. It's a minute to talk. That's love. The church is not for Americans. It's not for white people. It's not for people who are just like us. I wonder what might be different if we would show that kind of love to those around us. But let me come back to it. It's impossible. It's impossible for someone, anyone, to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ if at the same time there is hatred in their heart towards a brother. Impossible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can the love of God whom he has not seen? Love is an indicator. Let me say this. Listen to what I'm about to say here. You know who we should love deeply? The ones that we're closest to. You know who it is that we hurt mostly? The ones that we're closest to. There's things that we would say to a complete stranger that we would, or to our wives that we would not say to our strangers that we don't know. We hurt the people that are closest to us when they should be the ones that we are showing the most love to. And it happens in the body too. It happens in the body of Christ too. First John 3.15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Whoa. He just said hate equals murder? Yep. That's what he says. I didn't say it. He said it. And no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Matthew 5, 21, 22, You have heard that it was said of those old, You should not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of fire and hell. We're almost done. Verse 10. It says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. In verse 10, we see the evidence of real love. Abiding in the light. And he says, if you're abiding in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. 
In other words, the one who walks in the light or is abiding in love sees clearly and he walks according to God's will. I love this one other thing that, uh, that uh, John Phillips said here. And I want, I want to read this paragraph because I thought it was pretty interesting. It says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Not that all brothers in Christ are lovable. I agree with him. We all know some who have crossed us or criticized us, and some even who have done us harm. Others, by nature, we tend to dislike for no apparent reason at all, as the old rhyme puts it. I don't like Dr. Fell. The reason why? I cannot tell. But this I know and know full well, I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. <laughs> there's no really reason why, no real reason why, they just don't like them. And there's people like that. They just have an attitude of hatred. And it just comes, even if they're not, they're, their face shows it sometimes. In his book, A Tuft of Comet's Hair, E.W. Borham includes a fine essay on Dr. Fell. He points out that when it comes to disliking people, there are two categories. Disliking people for a reason, and disliking people for no particular reason. We dislike some people, for instance, because they are know-it-alls. No matter what, how fine a sermon you preach, they find something to criticize. No matter how many people applaud your latest book, they pick it to pieces with smug complacency and personal bias. We dislike noisy people who sweep over an assembled company with a tidal wave of animal spirits. And we dislike those who are quite the opposite, who seem to have no personalities at all. They, are, they bore us with a complete organ recital. Sorry, Paul. When we ask them how they are, we dislike those who want us to know how well connected they are, who drop names, who are related to famous people. They had lunch the other day with a cabinet minister or the mayor. We dislike those who gush. Even an accidental meeting becomes a state occasion. But second, and even more troubling, is our dislike of those whom we dislike without a reason. People like Dr. Fell. So he says, John has no patience with any of this. Nonetheless, the Lord did not allow preference or prejudice to make a difference in his heart, never allowing human feelings to motivate him or to the extent that he attracted this one and repelled that one. There were no Dr. Fells in Jesus' life. He loved Pilate as much as he loved Peter and would have saved Caiaphas as gladly as he saved Nicodemus. Those are some strong words. Who do we choose to love? Because it is a choice. Verse 11, last verse. He says, But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Three things about this. As John further reiterates or stresses his case concerning hatred and walking in darkness, three things. He who hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, if we could equate that with not being a child of God, if you're just hating your heart towards a brother you're still not a child of God. Number two, he who hates his brother does not know where he's going. In other words, you're just aimlessly walking through life and there's no real purpose, no real direction, no real function of person, personal uh, purpose. You're just, you're, just, you're just existing. He said, he who hates his brother does not know where he's going. And number three, he who hates his brother is blinded by the darkness. He cannot know where he's going. Not only does he not know where he's going, he can't know where he's going. So remember this. Darkness cannot overcome light. It can't. There is not a room that is just so pitch black that when you turn a light on, 
you can't see the light. I mean, think about that. The smallest little light cannot be overcome by darkness. It can't. It's, it's physically impossible. And if there's a scientist in here, just, you know, some other way, don't say it. <laughs> ruin the illustration. But I've been in some pretty dark places where I couldn't see my hand right here. Try to be out in the middle of a Canadian wilderness with no cities around you for 100 miles. And no stars, no moon, just a black night. Can't see your hand right here. Freaky. And all of a sudden, one little light makes all the difference. One little light makes all the difference. And can we say it this way? No matter how pitch dark a room may be, the tiniest light will brighten it up, and love overcomes hatred. Light overcomes darkness. Love overcomes, overpowers hatred. So here's the question we all have to ask ourselves. Does our life reflect light or darkness? Not just to those it's convenient to love. Because some people, as we said, there's some doctor fellows that just hate for no reason. There's some people who are easier to love than others. I was sharing with the guys the other night, there's a couple questions I ask my wife every so often. Do you love me? Well, of course she loves me. She tells me that all the time. But here's the better question. Do you like me? See, I can love somebody without liking them. It's a bonus when you get both, by the way. But usually every morning I roll over and I said, I'll say something to to this effect. Have I told you yet today that I love you? Every morning, right? I just want to know that she, she's loved. And even though I'm male and I'm forgetful at times, I try to do the things that please her. And if we're a child of God, we should want to do the things that please him. Not perfection, but an attitude or a consistency of trying to do what's right and loving people. But we've got to keep the vertical. If we don't love God rightly, you cannot love people rightly. Right? Every relationship must start vertically before it can be right horizontally. And here's the second question. Has your love or the lack of love affected those around you? Has your love or lack of love affected those around you? And remember, it's easiest to hurt those that we should be closest to. Maybe this morning you need to contact somebody and say, I haven't shown you love. Maybe this morning you need to Get a hold of somebody and say, would you please forgive me? I've been selfish. I don't know what God may be talking to you about. But love can go a lot of different directions. It's not just the all nicey, cream on the pie, fluffy, love God, love others. Love, if true, produces an action and expects nothing in return. Why? Because it's right. And it's Godlike. So does your life reflect light or darkness? And has your love or the lack of love affected those around you? What is God speaking to you about? Let's pray.